You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Closer to him and grow together. And so he used these prophets in the Old Testament to speak on his behalf. And a side note, you didn't just call yourself a prophet in the Old Testament and get published in the Bible. You actually had to be right about things. So lots of people call, call themselves prophets today. Lots of people call themselves prophets in the Old Testament. But only prophets of Yahweh that were correct were getting in the Bible. And so when you see a prophet in the Bible, they would have actually proven themselves to be a prophet because they would have got things right. Um, that's the definition. In fact, there were severe warnings for those that claim to be prophets and get things wrong consistently. <laughs> These guys got things right. There was actually a standard to be a prophet of Yahweh, and Malachi was one of these guys. In fact, even hundreds of prophecies over the thousands of years of the Bible has spanned. So the library that is the Bible, made up of different books, hundreds of prophecies are fulfilled and are getting fulfilled even today. It's actually one of the, um, it's one of the most amazing things if you're not a Christian. It's hard to look past how accurate these guys prophesy about Jesus coming. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's insane. And if you're not a believer, worth looking into because you just, how do these guys know what's going to happen in thousands of years later or then today? And so prophets would come in and speak into culture. Most of the time, because the Israelites were the same, they were telling the Israelites to come back to God. Nearly every prophet somewhere in the message was like, come on, guys back to God, back to your first love, back to your Lord, back to Yahweh. And so most of the time there was this invitation. So before I start this series this morning, because we're going to spend four weeks in what is known as prophetic literature, I want to put my teacher hat on and sound a bit like a classroom because I just want to talk about how we use the Bible. Because it's important. Uh, mate, do you know what? Not that long ago as a school teacher or a preacher or as a Christian, you could assume something. You could say something and not be 100% sure about it. And no one had this thing called the internet where they could look that up. Since the internet, Christians and school teachers too can't be, we shouldn't have been any time, but we can't be ignorant. If we're going to speak from the Bible or speak about the Bible, we're allowed to not know everything. We're allowed to get it wrong. We're allowed to be human, but we can't assume what that passage is saying. We need to do the research if we're going to talk about it. Does that make sense? Because we live in a day and age where the outside world's using the scripture against us and taking it out of context. So we need to understand why these books were written if we're going to talk about them. So Malachi is to a certain people in a certain time. You can't just take some passages and put it into today. There are prophecies about today in the Bible but in terms of Malachi, let me give you an example. This is one of the passages Jewel just read. We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord host says. They may rebuild, but I will tear down and they'll be called the wicked country. You can't just take that and go, oh, that's about America. <laughs> you can't just take that and go, oh, that's about the bad day I had. You need to understand that it was written to a certain time, a certain person and in a certain era. Now, you might be like, why is, he, why is he going on about this? Because what the world is doing to us right now, they take passages about slaves 
and death and say, oh, God told Christians to do that. They take out a context. When we remove the context of the Bible, we give them permission to do the same. And so as we go through particularly prophetic writings, we need to be careful that we understand who it's been written to. The question out of that is, well, then why talk about it? If it's written to people two and a half thousand years ago, what does it have to do with me standing in Burley Heads Church of Christ in 2018? Answer is heaps. You see, our context changes. We are not Israelites just coming out of slavery from Babylon being freed. But the God we worship is the same. And so his character is the same. And so we can learn about God's heart for his people. We can also learn about human nature. We can learn about how, how forgetful we are, how much we go away from God, how sinful we are. And so there's heaps to learn from these passages. There's heaps to learn about the interaction with God and his people. We just need to be careful about understanding the context it's written to. Um, so, sorry to get all teachy, a bit disclaimery there, but we can't afford in 2018 to be ignorant when it comes to the scriptures. You're allowed to be wrong. There's nothing wrong saying to a non-Christian, I don't know the answer, but we just can't assume without doing a little bit of research because they can get on Google and they could actually do the research now. So it's like um, the school teachers used to be able to, when they had a, uh, there's no kids, when they used to do sex education in schools, school teachers used to make up all types of horrible things um, to scare the kids. And then now the kids have the internet, they can actually look it up and go, oh, that thing doesn't even exist. So I knew an older teacher that used to tell me, she used to tell her kids horrible things would happen to stop the kids. Um, but now they can research. So the same thing, we can't be ignorant today with the scripture. Let's keep going. That's my little teacher lecture this morning. So what does it have to do with us today? What does it have to do with us today? Well, two and a half thousand years ago, the people, the Jews, were, um, first of all, they were released from slavery from Egypt. And then generations later, they're freed from Babylon and now they're living in a time where the temple has been rebuilt. They're living in the promised land. Looking at everything, they actually live in a great time. They have everything God has promised them. But they've grown weary. Apathy. Kind of lazy. One of, them, one of the lines says, what weariness is this? They can't be bothered. They've kind of, God's done stuff in the past, but he's not really doing anything now, so why bother? So they're offering half-hearted sacrifices. All of a sudden, two and a half thousand years ago, sounds like modern day Christianity on the Gold Coast. How funny is our culture at the moment? Exactly like that. You can be a Christian, but just don't be too full on about it. There's this apathy when it comes to faith. Not in the church, but in the outside. Suddenly our culture is very similar to it. We are living in a lot of God's promises. Our society is built on kingdom principles. So we actually reap the benefit of a law and justice system that is based on the Bible. We reap the benefit of hospitals, which were invented by Christians, schools, which were started by Christians, universities, which were started by Christians. We have the benefits, but we've grown as a culture kind of what weariness is this? Is God real? We've removed ourselves. 
And so this actual story has a lot to do with us today. The kind of cultural saying is sort of don't be too serious um, or full on about your faith. That's the, that's the modern mantra of today. It's almost like, because this is a Christmas series, it's almost like the Christmas lights are on, but no one's home. It's like we have all these promises. We have a Christmas tree set up, but no one to sit around it. We have gifts under the tree, but a culture that doesn't want to open it. We have a surf competition, but no one's brought their boards. No one wants to participate fully in what God is doing. And so this whole book of Malachi is speaking to the people of the time and saying, don't miss out. Don't forget your boards. God has got so much for you. God has done so much for you. Don't miss out. And what's funny, it actually, we often pitch God like he's threatening us. And we say, God is saying, you better do this or else. This letter shows us God is actually saying, you keep living like that, it's going to end in destruction, both now and eternally. We all know people that have lived their whole life for themselves. It doesn't end well now and eternally. It's not a threat. This whole book is God saying, I'm not threatening you. That's just where that path goes. I want to free you. I want to invite you to live as a people of Yahweh. It's funny, the vision of God is right through this book. Um, We call it at Burley Church, we call it a unifying, inclusive, ever-growing family table. In the Bible, it calls it a royal priesthood or a city on a hill. Listen to this in Malachi. This is God's heart. This was God's plan for his people, but they missed out. He says, God's heart for this nation. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God never wanted to just stop at the Jews. He wanted to create this amazing, inclusive family that spread out. They never got there. They missed out. It says, from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. And this last verse, for I am the great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God has this plan for the Jews where he wants to set them free from Egypt, Babylon, and they become, it's an invitation and a promise of life with the creator, both now and eternally. This is what he wants. And it's so um, addictive or so ever-growing that one day it'll expand out to the entire planet. The Jews never get this and it never gets much further than their own nation until the baby comes and we'll get there. But it's not dissimilar to where we sit today in 2018, if you've got that next slide. We, post-Jesus, can be slaves of many different things. How many CEOs, how many rock stars, how many people that have got everything they want end their life too early before we say, maybe that's not the answer. Maybe that leads to loneliness, anxiety, doesn't have meaning in it. It's not a threat, it's just the path you go on if you're a disciple or slave of something else. But if you're here today, it's the same promise that it was to the people of Malachi. Jesus, 
wants to deliver you, set you free from the ways of this world and an invitation and promise to live with the Creator in full life, both now and eternally. It's good news today. Very similar time. So my question, church, this morning is who wants to miss out? Do we want to miss out on what God's doing? I know the answer, no, because you're here in church. Do you know what? A couple of generations ago, the church was the centre of the community. You could kind of lukewarm church and it was still a benefit. It was great at networking. Uh, It was respected in the community. I know a pastor, a pastor, a mentor friend of mine used to tell them he was a pastor at Pizza Hut and they'd give him the pizzas for free because it was respected. He was a pastor. So he would, he would say, oh, it's, um, if it was me, he'd say, oh, it's Steve Gray. Pastor Steve Gray here. And I go, oh, well, it's on us, sir. Like it had this, church had this respect about it. That's gone. We're not trusted. If you're here today, I know you're serious about it. That's what I'm trying to say. I know there's no other benefit of being here other than you're serious about God. You're serious about not missing out. And so Malachi offers us some tips on not missing out, on how we make sure that we don't miss out, how we make sure we bring our boards, how we make sure that we open the gifts that God has given us and we walk fully in his kingdom now and eternally. How do we not miss out? And just one point this morning, one point this morning. I had three and then the sermon got too long because I love this point and this point is where it's centred. And the next four weeks we'll talk about the other stuff. Number one is know God's heart for you. Here's how the Old Testament book of Malachi that Jewel just read opens up. Verse one. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This is like God's second thing he says to them. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved me? The last book of the Old Testament, the first thing God wants you to know above anything else, before he asks you to do a single thing, he wants you to know that he loves you. He gives a great example of the nation of Esau and the nation of Jacob and how what it looks like to have God's hand on your life. Not too applicable to us today, but we still have things in our life that we look back and we can be thankful for. And, how, and my challenge this morning is how often do we do that? How often do we ask these questions? Do you know God loves you? Number one. How has he shown you? Number two. And how often do you thank him for it? How often do you thank him that up until today, none of us have starved to death? I'm not saying we don't have people in our church that get hungry. Don't get me wrong. But so far, right now, we're all alive and God has provided. Amen? How often do we thank him for that? That up until today, here we are, fed and here, alive. Thank you, God. How often do you think that conveniently, when we need to get up in the morning, the sun comes up, God turns the lights on. And when we need to go to bed, God turns the lights off. Thank you, God. How often do we thank him for a good friend or family or if you have kids, how often do we thank God for that? The blessings of a good friend, of family. I put here, how often do we thank him for the opposite sex? 
the most complicated, um, intriguing. Um, if you're single, married, or part, you know this. What on earth is going on? But we're fascinated with them, and then we want to spend the rest of our life with them. How often do we thank God for that? That He's created that. He's created that. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's crazy, but it's beautiful. How often, and this is a personal one, how often do I thank God for the coffee bean or the cocoa bean? Seriously, how often? And I don't know your story this morning, but if you know Jesus, then how often do you thank him? I think about who I would be if Jesus hadn't invaded my life and I wouldn't, I just, I can't help but thank him. Seriously. I know I'm reasonably young, but I just would not be, forget the pastor thing, I don't want to know who I'd be if Jesus hadn't intervened in my life. Don't know if I'd be alive, don't think I'd be, yeah, in, in the place I am. Thank you, Jesus. You should be able to, Christian, if you don't know Jesus, then you need to get to know him. But as a Christian, you should be at least able to articulate why following Jesus is a good thing. Because if you can't, how on earth are we meant to tell others if we don't believe it's a good thing? How often do you acknowledge the freedom we have? And let me look outside and there's a whole system in the West. You're born, you go to school, you go to work and then you die. People are disciples of money. People are disciples of attempted immortality. They believe they're the first person that will live forever. They're disciples of comfort. Disciples of Facebook likes. Look outside and you watch how trapped. It's actually becoming a bit more obvious now when you see my age and younger trapped on this. Releasing the endorphins like a drug. A harder hit when you get a Facebook like. If you don't know what a Facebook like is, don't worry, so I won't spend too much time on this. But it's a, if you get a Facebook like, it's the same chemical reaction as a hit of cocaine. In us, because we get excited, we're liked, we're wanted. It's addictive. Uh, my prediction is we'll have rehab centres for social media in the future, but that's for future us to worry about. But we're actually slaves to it. It's not as obvious as Egypt or Babylon, but we're slaves to it. But we don't have to be as Christians. We're free. We're okay. The creator of the universe says, you're okay. If you do nothing today or you do something today, you earn a million dollars, you earn nothing. You're okay by me. I love you. What freedom. These things become our identity instead of who we are in God. If I'm honest with you, I think I'm actually too young and haven't lived enough life to actually fully grasp the, how much God loves me. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago with a guy called Mike Pilavachi, and he spoke about this love and I was convicted. I'm like, I think I know God loves me up here but it's almost like I need mission, little mini missionary Steves to let the rest of me know God loves me. And I think it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight but as I get older, I look forward to growing in God and realising more and more the Father's love for me. More and more each day that he actually thinks I'm okay. And he even knows about that thing I did. He knows about the thing you did. And he still loves you. It's something we work on. 
and we need to work on it, right? Because there is a multi-billion dollar industry marketing against it. Walk outside and you'll be told you're not enough. You don't have everything that make you happy. You need more. You need to work harder. You need to do more. You need to be smarter. You need to look better. And there's this quiet voice in our life saying, I created you. I'm enough. We need to remind ourselves. It's worth setting patterns or reminders to thank God. I've wanted to just preach on this this morning. I just wanted to preach. Before we start talking about doing things, I wanted to first help us understand that we don't have to do anything. <laughs> We're already loved by God and everything else is worship. Everything else is a reaction. If you don't understand what I mean by missing out, let me explain this. So sometimes, who's, tell me if you relate to this. You're in, a, you're in a circle maybe out there, morning tea, and somebody says, um, and they're talking to someone else beside you, and they say, do you want to come over for lunch? And then they look at you and go, um, oh, do you guys want to come over too? And then you're in the car on your way home, and you go, do you think we're actually invited? Did they just invite us because we're standing there? And our human mind ticks over. Do they really want us there? Do they like us? And so if you're not sure someone likes you and wants you there, you're not sure if you should turn up, right? Same thing with God. If God's stirring you, telling you to do something, if God is wanting you to step out, but you're not sure he loves you, you don't turn up. You see other people in your church doing these things, listening to God and going, oh yeah, but God loves them. If you don't know he loves you, you won't show up. You have to understand that he wants you here. He wants you in his plan. He wants to, you to participate with him. That's number one to understand. Otherwise, nothing else matters or will work. If you don't first understand, God wants you. It's the baseline. We need to remind ourselves at every chance. You know, the people two and a half thousand years ago, they didn't get this. They didn't listen to Malachi. And we're going to talk more about that. And then 400 years later, there's a baby born. God is born in the middle of them and they don't even know. They don't even realise the Messiah. Most of them don't realise the Messiah walks in flesh and blood amongst them. They're that far removed from God that barely any of them know. In fact, they kill him. That's how much they don't understand. I often dream, I'm like, imagine if you had a time machine. This is my wacky imagination. You'd, you'd want to go back and see Jesus. How much worse would it be being there 2,000 years ago and still not understanding who Jesus was? That was his own people. They missed out. Sitting on the beach, watching everyone else surf having a Christmas tree full of gifts and not opening any. God is pleading with his people one last time before the baby, please don't miss out on what's coming. Please understand I love you. Look at everything I've given you. I'm excited for what's next. Burley Church of Christ, God has a plan. He wasn't done with his people then and he isn't done with us. Don't be like uh, the team who have to, like I said, stand on the side of the beach and watch people. Don't be the, the person in the sporting field watching everyone else participate. Let this be a series. I guess 
as I finish off and we play our last song, I guess as we enter an Advent season, as hopefully life for you slowing down, as the church programs perhaps are slowing down, what a perfect, um, what a perfect season to stop and reflect and remember God loves us and so that we can fully participate in 2019. One practical idea I, I might, be, um, might be helpful for you, but it's helpful for me. There's a church in Melbourne, actually a church of Christ called Red Church in Box Hill. And they have this thing in their church, they say, we'll win the day. And what they do is, if you're like me, and you might not be like me, I have my phone beside my bed. And when I wake up in the morning, guess what the first thing I look at is, if one of my kids haven't woken me, guess what the first thing I look at is? My phone. And I usually let Facebook or my emails tell me how my day is going to go. I let the world define me. I don't know what you have beside your bed. Maybe not your phone. But how awesome for us as a church to say, actually, if we started in the Word, even just a passage over Advent, we could win the day. We could let God's love define the rest of our day. Then get to Facebook and work emails. and Let God speak into your day. Win the day. Win the week, win the month, win 2019. A bit of practical advice that I found really helpful as I've started. Let me pray and we're going to sing one last song. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophets of old and thank you for the wisdom, the library of books that is the Bible offers us. Lord, as we unpack this series, as we head towards the baby, as we head towards Christmas, Father, firstly, Give us a renewed sense that we are loved. Maybe someone in our life, Lord, has said something to us and that has defined us. Maybe they've told us we're not good enough, that we've failed, we're not worthy. Let today be another marker point to remind us that you are the one that can define us. You are the only one that should define us and that you want us to turn up. You want us to participate. That you love us, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen.